so what we're talking about is how do I empower my team? Right. So this is about empowerment and, and with empowerment, yes, I need to have the fence, if you will, or the boundaries in which this person can operate. Right. We all understand that. But as a leader, then what I have to do is trust in that person. Right. And, and give them the power to make a decision on the spot. This is Pete Moore. I'm here on Halo Talks NYC, part of the Halo Academy, with a friend of mine, Tom Johnston, who is part of the Halo Advisors uh, executive team. We've known each other since April of 2000, is how far back we go. Wow, you pinpoint the month as well. Yeah, I knew it was 17 years plus. I think I was pitching you a website that you could access on your AOL dial-up. When you were at sawmill clubs yeah that's that's accurate i remember very well and i remember carrie glassman actually uh working with you at that time as well and, and she's still working with me and uh, has her own company and everything's come full circle here absolutely uh so tom and i reconnected actually through uh the executive search program we were interviewing candidates for one of our portfolio companies that we put a seed investment into and tom's name came up uh four out of five interviews and i'm like i gotta reach out to this guy and see where he is and he turns out he's in brooklyn and uh, looking to do something uh, in what we now call the Halo sector. We've been working together for about six months now, and I wanted to bring him onto the Halo Talks to talk about not just you're building a company and having the right processes in place, but really being thoughtful about what the responsibilities are, how to put an infrastructure in place, operations manual, and nothing works unless there's a plan and if there's execution and there's accountability. So, Tom, why don't you give Absolutely. your background? Uh, first, and then we'll we'll dive into some of the things that, uh, that you and I deal with on a daily basis. Sure, sure. Thanks, Pete. And it's great to be here. I think, you know, uh, I, I'm somebody that grew up in the fitness industry, right? So um, I don't want to go back too far, right? But essentially, when I you and I first met, I was, you're correct, I was the vice president of operations for the Sawmill uh, Sports Management, operating their portfolio of clubs uh, in the suburbs, and um, I, had, I had a great experience there, worked with some really, really bright people. Kurt Busman was the founder of the Sawmill Club, a visionary uh, in the industry, founder of uh, one of the founders of URSA. So it was an opportunity to work with him. It was really extraordinary. And, and the Busman family overall. Um, and then back in 2008, I left the Sawmill Group and um, I landed with American Leisure. And it was a, it was a different world for me in that I went from operating health clubs to now being in the real estate service sector here in New York City. And, you know, what did what an American Leisure did at the time was we designed and operated the amenity spaces uh, for real estate developers here. So, you know, what I saw then was that it was much more than fitness. Certainly fitness was a component of it, but it was really designing the spaces that were going to be uh, ultimately the sales tool that many developers use to to attract uh, buyers or renters into their facility. So we managed, um, we designed many properties, but then we also managed a hundred different facilities throughout the city. And, and at that point, um, shortly after I joined them, it was really interesting. I had an opportunity to work in Saudi Arabia and I was the, the person responsible for creating a lifestyle around a community. And so what I really learned about was community building and how we did that through what I now call well-being. And um, I had an opportunity to work in Saudi Arabia at the King Abdullah 
University of Science and Technology, and it was a new startup. It was a $20 billion investment by the King to uh, bring a different type of environment into the, into the, uh, into the kingdom. Um, so it's it the first time I've heard $20 billion startup, but 20, $20 billion. Yeah, was one. yeah, exactly. Um, so, it, you know, for me, part of my, you know, my role there was to, as I looked at it was really to create the healthiest community in Saudi Arabia. And it was great because it was a co-ed university and you had people coming from all over the world to either, either be the professors there and, and the administration as well as the students, of course. And so that was an extraordinary opportunity, which, as I mentioned, it, it gave me a sense around you know what it is or more than fitness it became about well-being which really then had me you know start to search more about positive psychology which kind of got me really interested so i became a positive psychology practitioner and went through a certification in that and then which also then led me to uh becoming an energy leadership coach um so when you contacted me um you know i was in the i was in the process of forming my own company and combining really what I looked at was the science of happiness, which is what positive psychology is, and then being able to meld that with the best practices of business and the art of leadership. So it was a science of technology and the art of leadership. So when you contacted me about Halo, I remember our first conversation. I was like, this is exactly what I'm interested in doing, and as well as who I wanted to work with, which is, you know, I hadn't defined it as the halo sector, but certainly those kinds of brands and those kinds of companies that are really helping people to uh, improve their well-being. Yeah, and uh, just for the listeners here, we, uh, we trademarked the term halo as we looked up the definition of wellness and we determined that it was the opposite of illness, which basically means if you're not sick, you're just okay. Uh, so we're trying to take people to another level and, and create a halo effect and Really, the, the lifestyles that people lead, uh, that's what they talk about around the water cooler, if there's still water coolers. And you talk about Netflix series and you talk about, you know, what you're doing for your physical fitness and what you're doing for your your mind and what you're doing for your body and meditation and infrared saunas and everything else. So, yeah, oftentimes what I find, Pete, is is that people are not necessarily speaking about what they are doing. It's what they need to do and where they're lacking. And that's where the, I believe the ultimate need is today is that people are looking at well-being and, and thinking about and considering self-care. What so, does that look like? Yeah, I think, well, that's a great segue into, you know, a lot of what we're going to talk about over the next 20, 30 minutes is companies that are solving a frustration. So these aren't just like cool whiz-bang technologies that somebody says this is a luxury item and, you know, I think there should be an infrared sauna, or I think there should be a amenities in, in a uh, residential building. These are, these are needs of urbanization and the community, and you'll talk about that. Sure. So, but before we get to that, I, I, maybe we take a step back and we just talk about your experience at, at Sawmill, your experience at American Leisure. Obviously, you had to manage a lot of people. You know, you had to know everybody's first name. You need, need to know, like, what their, their personal and professional goals are probably needed to take different tacks with, you know, how you either reprimand or coach people. And I think that's something that, that you've become somewhat of an expert in and in, in how to think through, maybe I'm not going to write you up. Maybe we just need to talk and I need to understand how you think and I need you to understand how I think. So maybe you can just talk about as you've gone through the ranks, sure. managing a lot of people in a lot of different facilities, which is probably the stumbling point of most companies is that the, the wheels fall off the bus when you try and grow too fast. Yeah. You know, and, and, Great point. You know, so I always say, look, you know, you know, when we put together 
I'll call it a budget or even a pro forma, right? You, you look at it and you say, okay, well, this looks great on paper. And, you know, typically at the end of the year, there's a, there's a profit that we're looking to get to. And in order to get from, you know, day one, January 1st until the end of December, last day in December, how are we going to, how are we going to make that happen? And that really comes down to operations, right? How are we going to execute? How are we going to identify the right people, get them in the right roles? And, and then, then, yeah, it does come around coaching. A lot of it comes down to communication, right? And, and communicating expectations for people and identifying talent and identifying strength and being able to play to people's strengths. So when it comes to, you know, you call it reprimanding, um, you know, we talk about the standard operating procedures and we talk about employee manuals and so forth. So, you know, clearly if someone has done something that's egregious, um, you know, that may be a different conversation for sure. Uh, then, hey, look, you know what? Somebody has the right, I like to say the right attitude, and, um, but they're lacking in performance. And oftentimes, you know, that just becomes a training um, discipline that maybe we need to look at. Where are they lacking in terms of their performance from a tactical perspective or from being able to, I'll just say, you know, close a sale. And so a lot of times that's just about helping people to build confidence around asking for the sale, for example, um, so they can be coached, you know, but oftentimes, you know, what I say is I can't necessarily coach people totally in attitude, right? Mm -hmm. If I can't get them to have the right attitude and they may even be good performers and that becomes the challenge of leadership to um, make the determination around, is this person right for the organization long-term? Yeah. So, so Matt and I were having a, uh, conversation Matt Spielman and we we're talking about can you can you teach someone or coach someone to care you know and that's actually you know probably part of the interview process to try and vet through whether you know this person's going to pick up their phone at 11 o'clock at night you know and, and respond to an issue you know at a club or at, at a wherever um, or do they view it as as a job and the, the, the job is second to whatever else you know is a priority in their in their life and, and I think you see that in different sectors, you know, people have different mentalities and there's different expectations of, I come from banking. So, you know, in a bank, you kind of work until whenever the project's done. And in some other industries, you, you know, there's a, a culture that, you know, I'm going to work this hard and then, you know, the next day we'll be in. Right. Right. So, you know, what we're talking about is work ethic, right? Yep. And so, you know, that, that, and so much of this begins in the interview process, right? To, to select the right people and, and determine, you know, through a probe around certainly getting a sense of what their personality is and what, you know, their attitudes are and what kind of real experiences they've had in the past to, if we're looking for a part of our culture is to have that type of work ethic. Uh, where, you know, one of my, one of my mentors used to tell me that, you know, you work uh, 40 hours to maintain, you work 60 hours to get ahead. Right. Uh, and you know, that, that, um, that was ingrained in me. And, um, you know, I don't necessarily think that that's always practical today, uh, because we do need to help people with that work-life balance. Um, you know, I think that as a, as you're, you're, you're speaking to, um, the expectations of an employee and how they're going to engage. And I like to think about it from a retail perspective, how they're going to engage with the customer. I mean, we both have walked into, you know, stores here in the city where you get the obligatory, hello, how can I help you, right? right, when you walk through the doors. And it's a quite a different experience when you know that somebody's really engaged and, and they really want to help you. And, um, you know, I think that certainly 
Apple has one of the greatest examples of when you walk into an Apple store, you just know that these people are really switched on and they're engaged. Yeah, and I mean, that's a great example of an interview process, a training process, a understanding that if they wear the shirt, they're representing the brand and they take a lot of pride in that. And I think there's probably a level of positive peer pressure to be able to answer all the questions that, that people have from a technical standpoint and from a sales standpoint in, a, in an Apple store. I think it's also related to the compensation structure that they have set up where it's not a commission position where you're trying to, you know, like walking into like a men's warehouse where, you know, right. the first guy will get you, you know, kind of gets a sale and then puts his number and make sure no one else talks to you. Um, so a lot of that structure, which kind of brings us to, you know, an, an operations manual. And I'd say probably, 10% of the companies that we talk to actually have a, a physical operations manual and might have it more as like a, um, a book that has a spiral and it's on a shelf versus kind of using it as like the guiding principles and like this is how we do business. And, and just to bring up before you, you know, talk about an operations manual, it's really, um, you know, the guidelines or, you know, the, 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 the runway, if you will, to creating a great business needs to have you know, a process and a manual, and this is how we do things. So maybe you can talk a little bit about what you've seen from companies that don't have one and then build one and then actually use it and implement. Yeah, I think um, it's definitely, having an operations manual is, is without a doubt, it's one of the building blocks in a foundation to build a great company, right? So an employee manual, right? Or standard operating procedures. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to make sure that we've got the legalese correct, right? The compliance, the issues that we need to have covered and uh, everyone theoretically is working off of the same page, right? And I say theoretically because as you point out, oftentimes we may have, you know, we may have these in organizations, we see them in organizations and they are just put on a shelf. And it's like, yeah, we check the box that we actually have an employee manual, we have standard operating procedures, but that's not really how the organization is run. And I can't help but point out that, you know, in today's day and age in the United States, there's 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 probably not an organization that's out there that doesn't have if they have a manual, it doesn't have a policy around sexual harassment. Sure. And yet and yet we see what's happened in, in the corporate world today. Mm -hmm. um, so so certainly having those compliant issues and, and having that covered and, you know, how people are going to get paid, et cetera, time, paid time off. Right. I mean, all of these issues that are that are. Um, coming up now that you know as there's so many changes in from a government perspective right what's happening um they all need to be covered but i also think that it it comes down to an organization describing and really detailing how things are going to get done right so this is this is what we're going to do right and we're going to make sure that the x's and o's are all covered in a in an operations manual and then it's going to also define what the customer experience is as it relates to internal customers and external customers. But ultimately, it's leadership's responsibility to make sure that um, this is actually how we're doing things. And then it becomes so, so important when you're looking to scale a business so that there's a consistent customer experience for both the, the internal customers, the employee, and certainly our, our external customers. Now, one of the things I want to talk about was you know, there's never an NFL team, um, there's never an NFL game where you don't see a offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator with like a two uh, double-sided laminate and they all have headsets on. Right. And goes back to your point about communication. 
right? You know, there's an eye in the sky and those guys are, are reporting down to the field. They're, they're seeing things that are happening. Almost like in a company, you, you know, you've got your people on the front lines that are seeing what's happening with a customer and actually listening to a customer. Then you've got people that are making decisions and basically redoing the playbook on the fly right. in order to respond to those types of changes or requests or issues that you have. Um, so from a standpoint of you, know, you working with companies and having them identify like whose responsibility is to do what, you know, I think that in some companies there's a lot of meetings and a lot of group think. How do you kind of, I used to, as another aside, I used to um, do junior achievement and uh, this kid always kept putting the, the numbers on the math that he was adding up in the wrong order. So he'd never be able to, to add them properly because he wouldn't line them up properly. And I said, okay, we're going to do a kickoff right now. So line up your 11 guys and just line up your 11 guys. What do you want them to do? And he says, I just want them to all run down the field and stay in their lane. And if everybody stays in their lane, there's no way this guy's going to run it back on us. So when you think about like staying in your lane, but also communicating, you know, how do you, it's obviously a delicate personality. It's delicate, like what's your job title? How do, how do you calibrate that? Or is it different for each group of people? Right, right. So I think, you know, when you look at the coach, right, the, on the sideline who um, is identifying the plays that we're going to run, right, there's always the ability for the team on the field to call an audible, right? right? Sure. And, and so when it comes to calling an audible, it's super, super important that everyone understands, um, wh- you know, what their capabilities are, you know, in terms of, you know, how far can we take this, right, to, to run an audible um, and in understanding what the end game is. Right. So so if it's a matter of, you know, you know, something happens. Right. Which we know, um, you know, shit happens all yeah, the time. Any, right. Any in any organization. Exactly. Business, right? So so now it's like, you know, do I have the right people on the field that can make the decisions and and, um, you know, understand that within that decision making, y- they all have a certain role and responsibility around that. And, you know, when we start to identify the players on the field, and as you say, you know, trying to keep them in their lanes. Sure. You know what? At the, at the end of the day, they all have a job that they're, they're responsible for, that they're going to be accountable for. But it's super, super important that we identify what that role is. Mm-hmm. And then it, so much of it comes down to communication and understanding that, look, if I'm the person who's responsible, I'm quarterbacking and I've got the responsibility for calling this audible, everyone on the field needs to know what their responsibility is. Uh, in order to execute on that. And, and, in, and in times, you know what, if I'm in the huddle, I may ask, you know, I may say, guys, what are we doing here? Right. right. And I want to get, I want to get their feedback. I want to get their input. Super, super important. So one of the things you touch on is really, you know, you've got somebody on the front line of a, you know, retail services business, and they're obviously representing the brand. You're basically trying to figure out what level of their judgment are you going to let them, you know, what, what's the latitude on their judgment to say, you know what, somebody had a bad experience. I'm going to comp you something. I'm going to give you a free t-shirt. I'm going to write this up. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to reward you with something or like, those are some of the things you're talking about. It's like, okay, instead of me letting this customer leave, having a bad experience, I'm going to try and make it right within like the parameters of what I'm, what I'm allowed. To. Correct. Yeah. So, so what we're talking about is how do I empower my team? Right. Right. Yep. So this is about empowerment and, and with empowerment, yes, I need to have the fence, if you will, or the boundaries in which this person can operate. Right. We all understand that. 
but as a leader, then what I have to do is trust in that person, right? And, and give them the power to make a decision on the spot. Because as, if, if there is a, uh, a service issue, right? And we're having uh, an un, what I like to call an unproud moment in that instance, the last thing I want to do is have that person walk away, that customer walk away without being satisfied or certainly without being heard and know that, you know what, I'm going to take care of this and I've got the responsibility for making sure that this customer is, uh, is the experience is turned around to the best, best of my ability and there's a service recovery. And as a leader, as certainly as you scale a business, you've got to just trust that the people that you have in place are going to execute and, and deliver on that customer experience. And oftentimes what I've found is that when you empower people, at times they may even be a little bit stingier than I would like them right, to no, be, that's, that's a great you know, point. because they, they, um, you, you know, they're in that, they're in that moment. And then I need to really say to them, well, you know what, you could have actually done a little bit more here and, um, maybe even follow up with the customer to really supply surprise and delight them. Right. So, so two points that, that I think are important with, with what you're saying. One is if someone at the front line understands that if, if somebody had a really bad experience and let's say, you know, a high-end massage, and they came out and they said, you know, the, the massage therapist was late, you know, the room didn't smell like it's supposed to, um, you know, I didn't get a good massage. If they said, you know, what, I'm going to give you this, you know, skincare bottle, and if the person at the front desk knows that that's, you know, a $6 bottle marked up to $60, you know, th th them understanding the economics of what's in their retail location could potentially allow them to be empowered and actually give something away that might have a higher perceived value. So like educating people on what is going on in the unit economics of their location. I know some health club operators and some fitness studio operators that don't share any information on revenue or profit or cost with their employees for the fear that they might know too much or they might ask for a raise. But sure. the flip side of that is that they actually understand the business that they're trying to achieve, which goes back to your original point of, you know, what are we trying to accomplish and how do we get there and, and how does the business work? Right, right. Yeah, I think that, you know, you touched on a bunch of pieces there, right, Pete? Um, Pick so, one. Yeah. Um, you, you know, so you, just to touch on, you know, what you're doing is you're helping people to understand um, and learn the business acumen, right, that, that's required to be a successful business. And so certainly things like unit economics, understanding key performance indicators, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think the most important piece of this is understanding, having a, having a team member understand the lifetime value of a customer. Sure. And, 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 you know, if, if that customer has a, a bad experience, if you will, and they are, they are willing to express that to me, that's gold. Because when I can turn that customer around, more than likely, they're going to come back. And um, they may even share with their friends in their community that they, they actually had a, a great experience here. And here's what they did for me. I can almost guarantee that if they have a bad experience and they walk away, they're going to tell a lot of people about that and that's going to tarnish your brand. So I think that, yes, have, empowering the frontline people to understand how they can financially help with the recovery um, right. is super, super important. But it's really, for me, it's always about understanding how much it costs to gain a client, number one, um, and, then, and then, you know, the retention of that client in today's day and age is absolutely, absolutely critical um, that we want those people to become, as I like to call them, the raving fans. So I'll give you uh, just a hypothetical to see how you would manage through this. But Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so you open up a new, uh, let's say it's a, um, a 
a wellness recovery or halo recovery center that has all the different modalities. Some of the things that you and I've been talking about, whether it's a infrared sauna, a cryogenic tank, a, uh, salt therapy room, a, uh, Normatech, uh, um, compression technology, you know, as you go through, let's say it's a year, you know, there are certain things that people are going to complain about and, and you know how to remedy those. How does that, how do those like case studies or like, Hey, here's how we handled a situation with a member. Here's how we remedied it. And here's like what their response was to it. How does that kind of get into like an operations manual, or like a case study? I guess it goes back to like continuing education within your company, which I don't think a lot of people do, but like, Hey, here's was, here's the situation that we had. Here's how we dealt with it. Here's how we spoke to the customer about it. Here's how we rewarded them. Now it's been remedied. Let's do the same thing if that happens again. Right. Versus actually like giving somebody the judgment. Let's let's figure out what works. I, I mean, a lot of companies are, are empower their employees to figure out. Obviously, people are going to be more animated than others, and you might have to reward people differently, like a plane ticket when you know they're looking for people on the wait list. Right. Right. To get off the flight. So, how, how do you think about that as your operations? Background. Yeah, I think about it from the standpoint of, you know, this comes down to behavior modification, right? And so what I what I want to be able to do is to, you know, share as much as I can publicly when I like to say catching somebody do, doing something right. That goes all the way back to Tom Peters, like, mm -hmm. you know, that, that idea of management by walking around, etc. But being able to identify people and situations where they've been able to turn around a situation, a, a bad experience and convert that into a positive experience. And I think that it's celebrating those people, recognizing those people and sharing in whatever, whatever uh, medium I may is, is to really this, that kind of story becomes the, I'll, I'll call it the folklore of the, of the brand. Right. And it's really about us celebrating those individuals. And then when people understand that, oh, okay, that's how you get recognized. There's, there's a greater likelihood that those people, other people are going to follow suit, right? The other thing that's super, super important to understand is how an individual reacts in, in those situations when they've been empowered. And it really helps to identify who may not be right in your organization if they don't have the judgment or, you know, they, as you pointed out, um, they may not care enough. And um, then that becomes a, a different kind of a conversation that we have to have with someone so that we can either, you know, help them to understand what they, you know, what it means to be empowered. What is it that we're looking for from an end result with that customer? And ultimately, we're going to determine whether or not that person is right for the organization. Yeah, so, uh, so I heard this quote the other day that if you hire the right people, 80% uh, of your problems are behind you. If you hire the wrong people, 80% of your problems are in front of you. Yeah. So, you know, the interview process and understanding like the cultural fit and what their job descriptions in are making sure that they're, they're doing what the, they're, they're best at or what they could be best at, uh, I think is a really important part of this. And I think also in this day and age of the, the services that are in the halo sector, you know, the front desk person, or the person that is actually, you know, providing the service or cleaning. You know, these are typically people right out of college. And now they're like the, the first person representing your brand that, you know, probably the lowest salary in your company are actually the first person that, that a, a member interacts with. How do, how do you think about that from a training standpoint and from a risk of, and from a nutrition, you know, that there's a lot of variables here that, you know, how do you hold on to those people? Yeah. Well, 
that may be a whole other subject for a different podcast. Yeah, but, but we could do but, like you know, a one minute rip. Yeah, yeah, this yeah, is more yeah. just to this like is, this, well, have people and, think and, about what And I what say that, Pete, because are, you know? this is something I'm super, super passionate about. Yep. Because the reality in in the retail sector, and I'll call it the, you know, let's just boil it down and distill it down to, you, you know what? Um, let's talk about the fitness industry as it is, right? So first and foremost, I have a problem with calling receptionists front desk people, right? Because the front desk is a piece of furniture, right? And so Great. Part, Great of, part of what I want them to do is understand that they are a receptionist. And yes, they are, they are the face of the brand, right? And your receptionists and your porters in an organization can, are, are, are super, super, super vitally important people in an organization in a club setting. Uh, because oftentimes that's the person that your member may only they may be the only people that are are interacting on a one-on-one -on -one basis with your your mm -hmm. members um so yes it's about identifying who the right people are you know frankly oftentimes you know and i'll speak to, to what's happening here in, in new york city um the reality is those people aren't necessarily coming right out of college right this that's not the first job that they're going to have they may be they may be working in a club while they're going through college right but the people who I often see hired, you know, they're looking for a job and, and they need money and, you know, we're, we're potentially pay the, paying the minimum wage. And the good news is that the minimum wage is increasing in New York City, but, you know, it's still, it's a first job. And so what I always looked at my responsibility as a, as a leader was to help to, to provide as much training and education as I can for those people, which, which ultimately for me comes down to life skills. And so, you know, as a leader, I would often say, I want to, I want to be able to help these people. And, and my job as a leader is to help them to be successful, full stop. And if I can do that, then yes, then I'm going to be successful in an organization. So yeah, it's about finding the right people, training them, coaching them, rewarding them, you know, with, with emotional compensation, right. To letting them know that, you know what, you're doing a great job. You're, you're an integral part of this organization. There may be some upward mobility in the, in the, in the company. And here's the, here's the additional training that I'm going to be able to provide for you for that to happen. You know, I think that that that's ultimately our responsibility. And then, uh, you know, then what it comes down to is, is at the end of the day, when that person leaves the company and they're, they're building a resume and they move, may move on to, you know, their second or third job, you know, my goal was for that person to be able to look at their resume in an interview and be able to speak to the experience that they had in my organization and be able to say, you know what, this was one of the best experiences that I had because I learned about communication. I learned about how important it is to have a positive attitude, how, it is, how important it is to be a team player and how important it is to create a great experiences for my peers as well as for my customers. Yeah, I think that's a great point. So for, in wrapping up here, sure. um, you know, I think some of the takeaways is, is one, you can have a great product, but if you don't have an infrastructure and, and the people in the organization that can actually deliver on greatness, that you're probably not going to be a great company. Um, and an operations manual, as you said, is one of the first building blocks of here's a, a structure and a guideline. And a business is created because a group of people are going to come together and set up a legal entity to solve a frustration. And in this day and age, you know, they're the competitive barriers to entry are extremely low. The amount of business plans that we see on a daily basis of people that want to do what's already being done with a little bit of a twist to it 
you know, this comes down to execution and it comes down to roles and responsibilities. So in closing here, you know, if there's a, a, a CEO of a company or a director of operations, um, you know, who says, okay, look, I, I've got this great product and I'm, I, but, but if you kind of pull up the blanket, you know, things aren't going well, like what's your, you know, first words of advice, you know, does it hit the pause button, fix this, like really get an anchor on what's going on in your business? Cause you can't keep growing if, if the, the, the engine's not in place. Yeah, I think <laughs> uh, there's a many pieces to that as well, Pete. We well, got uh, 30 seconds. Yeah, thanks no, man. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that it is taking a pause and, and it certainly as um, the world is just moving so quickly today and people are, you know, people are desperately trying to figure out what to do. And there is a bit of making sure that we take a pause and, and have some thought around if it's a new product, what it is that we're going to do with this product and how we're going to bring it to market. Uh, but you can't overanalyze this. You know, you, at some point, um, you need to just take action and then figure it out along the way. And that comes down to, again, making sure that we're going to establish milestones and we're going to communicate effectively and on a regular basis. Yeah, I think that, again, that comes down to so much of it is about communication. And the last thing I would say is understanding that, you know what, we have a vision and we have a purpose and that becomes our, our guiding light. And if we're going to bring in a new product or a new service, I think one of the most important things is to be able to look at this and say, is this going to help us to fulfill our mission, our long-term uh, vision? And uh, if the answer is yes, then we go for it. And if the answer is we don't know, um, then let's take a pause and really figure out, is this the direction that we want to be going in as an organization? So that, that, that's a great um, ending to the reason why we're doing Halo Academy is to try to become the force behind growth and make sure that that growth is done successfully and systematically. And, and we want to help amazing entrepreneurs turn into great companies. Um, and there's a lot of hard work that needs to be done along the way. And as my early mentor, Peter Brockway said, if you build something of value and you do it at your own pace, when you want to sell it, someone is going to pay you for the value that you've created. So Tom, thank you for being on Halo Talks. Thank you, Pete. It's been a pleasure. Great and, to be uh, here. Hope people learned a couple of things along the way. I, I appreciate it.